This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Start your journey to becoming a great developer at learn.thoughtbot.com. Giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robot Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Josh. Uh, so today's podcast is a little uh, navel gazy, I guess. Uh, we figured that we would talk a little bit about um, our positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you and I both uh, became managing directors recently, and so we thought we'd sort of tr- swap some questions. The mm-hmm. innovation is happening in the question format. Yeah. <laughs> I told Josh he could ask me questions, which is uh, a bit of a reversal. I'm used to being the aggressor here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I figured we'd kind of just alternate and, and, and see how it goes. Yeah, that sounds good. But do you want to just start up by telling me about what you're doing now? Sure. So I've been a developer at ThoughtBot for four years. I'm now managing director of the Boston office. So from what I understand, and again, this is probably about two weeks in, um, Basically, I'll be dealing with uh, all the sales aspects. So the goal there is to bring on clients, making making sure that we're profitable and making money and our developers and designers are you know, staying employed. That's one big goal. Then the human resources aspects are just doing code review or not code reviews, uh, the in-person reviews. code reviews. Exactly. Yeah. So quarterly reviews uh, and one-on-ones just to make sure that there's communication between developers and designers with uh, me and, you know, the other the leadership at ThoughtBot, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that everybody's happy. People are working on what they want to work on. If they have any, you know, suggestions or anything like that, ways that, you know, I can do my job better and make it easier for them to do their jobs, you know, that there's that aspect. Mm-hmm. And then the advisorship aspect. And basically that's, you know, for all the clients that we have coming into the office, uh, there needs to be a non-technical face. So there, ideally there's a non-technical face to that client just to make sure that, you know, we're handling scheduling because I have more insight into scheduling, uh, util- utilization and making sure that they're happy with, you know, the work that we're doing. Mm-hmm. You, you touched on reviews a mm-hmm. little bit. Uh, have you done any reviews yet? Uh, I've done pair reviews. So Matt Jankowski, our COO, has been doing reviews for years and years, right? Mm-hmm. So I've been sitting in on reviews. The goal is to go through every designer and developer's review at the Boston office once with him, just so I get a feel for how reviews go and kind of the topics that we cover. And once I've rotated with all of that, then I'll be taking over that fully. So do you feel any awkwardness around doing that? No, I mean, it, it feels straightforward. Um, you know, being here for a while, I know everybody fairly well, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the goal is to know everybody even more. But, you know, for the most part, yeah, everything is kind of out in the open anyways. And I yeah. understand what's going on and what people are good at, what people, you know, want to want to get better at. And, yeah, you know, it's just a matter of going through and. And, and for me, at least the majority of my reviews have been like fairly collaborative. Right. Like there's like a little bit of feedback, most of which was like never a surprise. Right. Exactly. And then it was kind of like, so what do you think of that last project we just mm-hmm. did? And it was it was kind of almost just like a chance to talk about stuff. Right. Yeah. And that's that's the goal. And, and with the one on ones, which are happening in Denver and in San Francisco, mm. uh, basically it just improves or increases that amount of, amount of communication. So those are less formal and happen even more frequently. So the goal is to have one a month and, you know, basically go over the same types of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, just making sure they're ha- happy. If there's any issues, ideally that would come up. And because there's that constant flow of communication, every meeting should be more informative, take less time. Mm-hmm. Not that time is a, you know, a bad thing, but just things will happen more quickly right. and we'll be able to, both react and also be proactive 
because there's more communication. So we have a better insight as to what's going on. Makes sense. If you're doing uh, one-on-ones once a month, you get about 30 of them a month. That's going to make you a busy guy. It is. So I think the goal there is to either couple them with our coffee walks. So, you know, to give a background to those who aren't familiar, uh, in ThoughtBot, in in the Boston office, we, uh, you know, in the afternoon go and take a coffee walk. And a lot of times it's not even to get coffee. It's just to stretch our legs uh, and get outside, you know, get outside the office for 10, 15 minutes. So it sounds like in in San Francisco and in in Denver, they've been doing those at that time. So it doesn't really impact uh, people's day-to-day work. But, you know, you're able to talk informally and make sure that everything's going well. Cool. So, All right. Do you have a question for me? You want to hit me with something? So as a managing director, you're now responsible for it learns success at a financial level. Uh, has this impacted your view of the business? And have you made any changes to the product because of it? And are there any future plans impacted by you taking over as managing director? The managing director thing is kind of a formalization of stuff that was already happening. Uh-huh. Uh, so Chad, our CEO, and I have been working on it uh, together since, I guess, since the start of the year, more or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I've been, I kind of can't help but think of things from a financial point of view. Right. I'm just like, I'm sort of motivated by dollars, even when like I don't even care about the dollars that much. Right. And so I've been thinking about learn from a financial point of view from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I don't, I have this mindset kind of all the time. Like when I first, we first started chatting about the podcast, like, ch- or like, Someone suggested the podcast, and Chad was like, do you want to host it? And I was like, no, because it's never going to make any money. Right. And I just like wasn't really interested in that. Um, and I ended up, you know, I'm, I'm glad I changed my mind on that. Mm-hmm. But I sort of just have that focus anyway. Yep. And so, um, not really. So it has, I guess it hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. I, am, I am focused on the financial direction. I care a lot about the numbers. Um, but that's just kind of my natural MO anyway. Cool. And, and we, we do. It's interesting. So we have, we, uh, we were talking the other day about like what our mission is. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's good to kind of be on the same page with that. And it's it's funny, you have like, you have the mission, which is like your your meaning in life, but then there's also that like the back of the other thing, which is always going, which is like, you have to make money too. Mm-hmm. So like if your mission is like, you know, to educate developers and to make, you know, more awesome Rails developers in the world, that's awesome. But like, you have to also do it profitably. Right. Um, otherwise you've kind of failed, at least as a business. Mm-hmm. You, you mightn't have failed as like a nonprofit, but uh, we're not a nonprofit. So it seems like there's a lot of polarization and some of the feedback that you guys have got. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, they either absolutely love it or they compare it to like Railscasts or other learning software, totally. right? Um, you know, how big of an issue is this? Like, how do you kind of address those concerns? Is it a matter of just not relaying kind of the what you're providing to your users or, yeah, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there. I think there are a couple things at play. Uh, one is... Sometimes, so so kind of what you're alluding to is some people say, well, Railscast is nine dollars a month, exactly ninety nine dollars a month, and like so, why would I pay for this? Right. Um, and I view those in two ways. One is partially a failure on our part. Mm-hmm. So I think when people say that, it, it says to me like we haven't really done a good job of of selling what we're doing. Right. Um, and maybe we, uh, and like maybe it's like our landing page isn't good enough, or our, and so people come in with the wrong impression or maybe it's that our dashboard isn't showing them well enough you know what they have access to right or maybe it's that uh, we know we need more like automated emails that like tell them hey you're missing out on this thing that you have access to that you should be doing so partly i think of it as like a kind of a kind of a failure on our part right um or at least you know indicator like okay we're not doing an awesome job of making sure everyone knows about the value they get um and part of it is just that some people will never 
some people aren't your customers. Right. Like if 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 nine dollars a month is like your price ceiling, then that's okay. Uh, but you're not going to be a happy learn customer ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there there are some people I'm happy to not uh, have as customers. Not because they're bad people. It's just like, yeah, that's that's fine. Uh, under your value scheme, mm-hmm. I can't justify ninety nine dollars a month. Right. You know, you're getting access to Thoughtbot developers. You're getting this private form. You're getting some things that I think are awesome for making your learning go faster. But if you don't, if you don't have the cash or don't want to invest the cash to go faster, mm-hmm. then that's okay. Right. And I, I, so partly, I, yeah, partly it's us and partly it's them. And I'm, we're working on the first one. Uh-huh. That, that's something worth improving. But the second one, it's just like. We don't we don't sweat it when people are like, oh, I I don't I'm not going to do it too expensive. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I, I get it, that's fine. Cool. I wanted to ask you. So I, I, one of my favorite things is having a new person on a project, mm-hmm. and like one of our like sort of internal philosophies is like the newest person to the project is like really useful at like pointing out what's broken and like right. fixing processes and things like that. Mm-hmm. So you have the freshest eyes in terms of like these processes at Thoughtbot that are right. sort of like at management level. Um, what has seemed most broken so far? Oh boy, that's a good question. I'm probably going to upset some people. <laughs> uh, that makes it a perfect question. <laughs> um, let's say, let's say, what could use the most improvement? Right. So I think the communication between um, leadership and, and you know management, whatever you want to call it, and uh, and the designers and developers, the, the people who are actually writing code on a, on a day to day basis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm speaking from experience based on you know how how I was working as a developer and just some of the things that I noticed like. You know, oftentimes it would be like a very quick rotation where it'd be like, okay, I'm finding out this week or, hey, next week, you're going to rotate off on, onto a, a totally different project and having to spin up on that and be able to spin down in a current project and, you know, kind of l- wrap up any, any loose ends that I need to wrap up because, hey, I only have four days left on this project, yep. right? So that's, I think, the biggest thing is just relaying that sort of information and, and doing reviews and, and some of the other things where it just, you know, there are... To give it a little bit of a background, Matt Jankowski, our COO, uh, was basically acting managing director and COO in the Boston office, right? So the the problem was he was basically overtasked. Not basically, he was overtasked. Yeah. And just did not have enough time to do every single thing that he needed to do. Mm-hmm. And certain aspects of the managing director of Boston suffered and certain aspects of him being COO suffered. Mm-hmm. So the goal here is for me to, as managing director, be able to take over that and you know, keep my workload a little bit lower so that I'm able to address everything that needs to be addressed as managing director. So like I said, the thing that, that I'm coming in uh, and focusing on pretty heavily is just improving that, that sort of communication with uh, the quarterly reviews, uh, the monthly one-on-ones, and trying to keep, keep our developers and designers as informed as possible about, you know, projects they're rotating onto, uh, and kind of getting feedback on what they want to work on and, and taking that into consideration when we do rotations. It's not surprising to me that you say uh, that you're like, your answer was sort of like communication mm-hmm. because it's, to me that's, that's so often the root cause of problems and also the solution to them mm-hmm. is like people just need to be communicating more yeah. and better. And it's, it's so often a very low-hanging fruit. It's like, okay, it takes five minutes to say, listen, you know, I found this thing out about whatever you're working on the next two weeks. This is what I know right now. It very well may change and it probably will change, Mm -hmm. but I'm letting you know right now as much as I know so that you're at least prepared for it. And I think that's enough to, you know, move us in the right direction. And there's, you know, there's most definitely still issues. Like I got myself this past Friday, I found out a a developer was rotating onto a new project, Mm. found out in the morning at like 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning 
And he asked me at the end of the day on Friday, like, hey, what's going on? I'm like, oh, crap, I should have told you mm-hmm. this is what's actually going on. And I totally forgot. And I think a lot of that is just my muscle memory is all around coding and product design and stuff. And I need to convert it to be a little bit different and a little bit more about communication with, you know, all the designers and developers that, that I'm overseeing at this point. So. Totally. Yeah. So you touched on this really briefly, but you said that, so you're, you're, you're new into this role and before mm-hmm. you've experienced um, times where there's been a bit of a communication barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, how, do you have any thoughts on how to like kind of maintain or how to, uh, improve this the flow of information because i think there's a little bit of a natural separate like divide that happens it's like okay if you are sort of managing me or supervising me or doing my review then like there's just a little bit more of a barrier than there would be if we were just purely colleagues right co-workers um any thoughts on how you can keep that keep that working it's it's tough because there has to be a clear line of leadership you know and people have to know actually you know technically and i hate the word boss but i am their boss at this point like i am overseeing you know, you and making sure that, you know, you're successful at this company. And that's my responsibility now. Um, But having been here for four years, I think that because I have close relationships with most of the people that I work with, I think it's going to be a little bit more natural. And I think a lot of it is just encouraging people to continue to, to communicate and let me know, like, hey, I am here for you. Help me help you kind of thing. Right. It's like, I can't do anything unless I know there's an issue. So I think it's just, constant reminders and you know chad our ceo had said you know listen i am your boss you can come to me with literally anything and i will try and help you right and it's weird to me to be told that you know because there were other uh, you know layers of communication before going straight you know i would never go straight to chad usually unless it was like a big issue and luckily there haven't been any big issues but that reminder to me was like Oh, that's right. I I need to get this through my head. And I think, you know, maybe there is that, that kind of barrier. And I think maybe it's just a reminder, you know, constant reminder, listen, I'm here to support you. You need to tell me how, you know, what I can do to make your life better. Hmm. So. Got it. All right. You want to hit me with another one? So because you're running this business and a lot of it is based on flows to the website, uh, what sort of metrics are you guys using to track uh, churn and retention and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And as an aside and something you can answer a little bit later is like, what is the single most interesting point of information that you found out about your users? As far as metrics. So we're t- right now we track um, like current number of subscribers. That are, so we have three different levels of plans right mm-hmm. now. We track number of subscribers, churn rate, lifetime value. Uh, so I, I think we... I think we kind of suck at metrics. Mm-hmm. Um, I, part of me is like, well, we don't exactly have enough data or enough users to like make certain metrics interesting. Um, like we we don't get enough signups, for example, to do like A/B testing on the landing page. Okay. And like there are some ideas that I'd like to try. And like we we make a lot of uh, qualitative improvements. We're like, okay, the dashboard needs this change. It needs to be better this way. Right. Um, but we don't test those changes in like a statistically significant way, but we kind of can at this point right. with like, you know, a, a few hundred people. It's like, you're just not going to get good data from that. But, but overall I think we're, I give us like a C in metrics or like, okay. a, like a C minus. I think we do enough just to like kind of have like some really high level indicators of, and like my one indicator that I'm think, I think about mostly is churn. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, you know, how long does roughly the average person stay? Like what's right. our, cause you know, the longer, the better that number, to me, that's a pretty good indicator of how good a service we've built. Mm-hmm. But I, I'd, I'd like us to do more. Um, and I'd like, 
I'd like more input on what we what would be good. Like one of the things I think I'm missing out on is talking to people that run really similar businesses and what kind of things that they watch and that give them good data. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've we've tossed tossed around a few ideas, but it's it's a it's a tricky area to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've mostly been not flying blind, but we've been flying like you, you use your, we use our judgment as opposed to numbers so much to right. make our changes. And I think we've built something pretty great with it. But I'm, I have no doubt that there are useful things we could track and, mm-hmm. and use to make other decisions that, that we are not. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's something that I'd like to get better at yep. and I need to sort of work on personally. And was there a second part of that? Yeah, so it was... So I guess I have another, another question on top of that too. Uh, but the first one was, you know, what's a single most interesting point of data that you've gathered from, you know, your metrics. So, so one thing I did was I built us a, um, customer happiness index, which is ideal. We stole from HubSpot, which is basically you assign certain points values to things that people have done. So it's like, Oh, if you've signed onto the forum, you get 10 points. If you've taken a workshop, you get 20 points and Mm -hmm. like just sort of created a, an arbitrary scale for these things based on how valuable I thought they were. And the interesting thing to me was when we ran this data, we realized that there were like 20% of the people at the bottom that were like barely doing anything. Okay. And it's like you've been a customer for like four months and you've paid us hundreds of dollars and like you're n- almost not using the product at all. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was the most surprising outcome there. And so that led us to do some things. We're using Intercom now uh, to handle our messaging to people. Mm-hmm. And so I've started adding these things that do intelligent checking of how much you're using the product and then sort of encourage you to use it in better ways if you're mm-hmm. not. So it's like, hey, hey, you know, it's been a few weeks that you've you signed up like two weeks ago and you haven't logged onto the forum yet. So it's like, hey, you know, we have this great forum. You should really check it out because mm-hmm. it's actually pretty cool and there's good information there. And so it, I think that's we've we've we're starting to take steps to to deal with that. Right. But it was it was surprising to me. I guess these people are on like corporate credit cards or don't care or something. Um, but it's like you're you're signed up and you're paying us money, but you're really not doing that much with it. Do you have any users who've been users since the very beginning? That's a good question. Of the subscription I'm not sure. I don't okay. know what our, how, how long our oldest users are. We have a few people that are definitely could be. Okay. There have been a few people that have been there for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that would be like February would be, mm-hmm. was when we officially launched. Um, but it's interesting, like through Intercom, talking to people that like have been around since before. Like there were different tiers, for example. Mm-hmm. I had one guy who's like, I'm going to cancel that because, you know, I've taken the workshops and uh, I like the rest of the stuff. But, you know, the $99 is too high if I'm not mm-hmm. taking workshops. And I was like, well, you know, we have these lower, this lower tier plan that lets you retain inform- you know, access to, this, to these things you like. And he's like, mm-hmm. oh, when I signed up, that didn't exist. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, we've been, this has been changing a lot. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd have to look. I'm curious who our oldest customer is. We should yeah. send him a T-shirt, mm-hmm. him or her. So I got a question for you. I read a blog post about 100-day goals. Okay. Uh, do you have any roughly 100-day goals for you and Orthopont? Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, I have a few. So... At the 100-day mark, ideally, I will be acting as advisor for all of the, you know, projects in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're close to that right now. I've been taking over uh, as advisor for the majority of the projects. There's still a few where it either doesn't make sense or we don't want to just because the project is wrapping up soon. Mm-hmm. Or there's just a lot of domain knowledge there and a lot of history. And it just you know, we just don't want to do it. But for all upcoming projects, you know, I'll be acting as advisor. So acting as advisor and just, you know, I think as an advisor, there's a lot of insight into how people are working and kind of the goals just at a general level anyways. And to be able to have a full handle on that, I think is going to be really good. Um, One-on-ones fully implemented and, you know, feeling good about that and making sure that those are happening. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And at that point too, ideally, you know, the quarterly reviews will be fully handed over and I'll feel comfortable with that. I think those are the, those are the big ones that I can think of right off the top of my head. It's like these need to be done. I, I also want to, at some point, ideally within, you know, the hundred days is start getting more developers and designers involved in the sales aspect. Mm. I think that sales is a pretty important part of what we do because it's again, how we make money. Right. Mm-hmm. And while I'm not fully confident in it yet, I feel like in those hundred days I would be. And at that point I will want to bring, you know, whoever's interested in so they can sit in and start taking over that as well. One of the reasons why we brought in managing, managing directors in, in both uh, Boston and San Francisco is because the people acting is that right then, you know, both Dan Croak, our CMO and Matt Jankowski, our CEO, they were overwhelmed. And if they were the only people doing sales at an office, that bus number is one, right? Mm-hmm. So if anything bad happens to them, well, sales stops unless someone else steps up. Yeah. So I think the goal there is to, to introduce that more people into that process just so that I'm not the only person handling sales. Mm. You know, that also gives developers and designers the ability to have an impact on what they're working on. Totally. So I think that's... That was something that, that shocked me about the sales... Pro- not, what surprised me about the sales process was uh, how often we turned down people mm-hmm. and like how honest we were about it. Like I remember having a meeting with someone with Dan. Like I sat in on a sales call with Dan back when he was in the Boston office and then... He afterwards we talked about it and we were like it seems like this person's like kind of being controlled by their VC and doesn't have a clear vision for what they want to do and is like jumping all around so it's probably not a good fit. We just talked about this and then he like wrote an email and said exactly that. It yep. Like it seems like you're being controlled by your venture capitalists and don't have a clear vision. And I was like, oh my god. Yeah. It was like not only are we telling you no, but like we're giving you extremely honest feedback. Right. I mean, it goes back to communication. If you don't tell someone what's going on and why you're not working with them, they, you know, you might just get yanked around for months without anyone accepting, you know, and, and choosing to work on your product until you realize, oh, this is the actual issue. I need to address this. So I think. You know, it all goes back to, to that communication aspect and just explaining to people, this is how you can fix your problems. Right. You know, yeah, it, it, they're definitely not easy conversations or emails to, to have, but at the same time, they're totally necessary usually. Yeah. I, and I've, I've come to really appreciate the power of the truth. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes people get upset with you for what you think is the truth. But then I don't, I've never met anyone or I've rarely experienced people getting upset for telling what you think is the truth. Right. You know, they're like, it's like, I, this is how I feel. So I'm going to say it. And then they sometimes get annoyed at, you know, mm-hmm. how the thing that you think is true. Right. Um, but I've, I've been trying to crank up the truth quotient in my life mm-hmm. and like, it's really only helped. Overall. Yeah. The other thing that, that kind of comes to mind for me is budget. You know, like mm-hmm. a lot of times people try and beat around the bush about around budget. And it's like, you need to tell me how much money you can spend so I can tell you whether we're going to work with you or not. There's, right. it's not a matter of, you know, whether I want to work on the project. If the project seems cool, I need to know how much money you have. Cause if it's not enough, you won't be able to hire us. Right. So you might as well just, you know, rip the bandaid off. Tell me right away. Yeah. And I can tell you yes or no, or if it's reasonable or, Hey, we may need to cut some features from an MVP in order for you to fall within that budget. And, you know, if, if your product is successful, you will come back to us and we will do another round of work at some point in the future. I understand people's hesitance to, to, to tell that though, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, 
they probably think it's a negotiation tactic. Right. In reality, we don't really do that. It's no. kind of like, here's the rate, and here's what we can build you if you have this much money. Right. Um, but I, I get where that impulse comes from, mm-hmm. at least. So you guys had introduced the mentorship aspect at the $100 rate. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, quote unquote, pulled the rug out from under people and, you know, bumped the rate to 250 which, you know, to me makes sense because time, you, you know, that, that amount of time is, is very valuable yeah. uh, to you and, and Chad and some of the other mentors. What was the general reception on that? Like, I, I, I get the impression that most people understood, but, you know, like we said earlier, some people just are not happy with anything that happens, mm. but yeah. So just, just to clarify, so we, we rolled out one-on-one mentoring. So we, so learn at, even at the hundred, actually at, at every level basically comes with, uh, access to thought developers and mentoring. It's right. just sort of in a group format. Yep. So you can post on the forum with questions or you can attend office hours in your workshop and there's sort of group mentoring that takes place. Yeah. Um, and students actually helping each other, which is great. But what we, what we started to offer was one-on-one mentoring, like Skype calls individually, um, at the middle plan or at the at the hundred dollar a month mm-hmm. rate, and people were like, "Wow, this is awesome!" Everyone was really excited, and we're like, "Wow, everyone's really excited. This is really cool." And then we're like, "Oh my god, everyone wants this!" Yes. So this was something like we we very much uh, subscribe to the like move really fast and try stuff and iterate quickly mm-hmm. um, mentality. And what ha- what you have to accept with that is that you're going to screw up constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we that was like probably a preventable mistake. Who knows? Um, but what it turned out was everyone wanted mentoring at $100 a month. Right. And, you know, it, we saw incredible demand for it. And basically, in terms of mentors, we have a handful that mm-hmm. have the availability. And so very quickly, Chad and I were, like, doing 12 mentoring calls a day, <laughs> uh, which means there's absolutely no time to work on learning. Exactly. So basically, within, like, three weeks, we're like, well, this is not sustainable. And probably in retrospect, we could have figured this out. But, mm-hmm. uh, well, now we know it for sure. Yeah. So we uh, changed it. And like you said, it became a lot more expensive to get mm-hmm. one-on-one mentoring. And the response was actually pretty reasonable. I don't think anyone gave us like, a really negative response. Uh, it seemed like everyone pretty much understood it. it the, the, the response to, in general was like kind of like, yeah, I figured this was kind of too good to last. Yep. Um, was like what most people said. And like mm-hmm. we're like very understanding of like, well, you, you guys need to have time to keep working on the service. Right. Um, so I, I credit to, to our users. I think they're mostly all pretty reasonable people and can mm-hmm. kind of do the math and think like, well, there's like X hundred subscribers and like mm-hmm. if everyone gets mentoring, that's just not going right. to work. Kudos to them for being cool about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we felt, you know, a little bad cause it's like, you don't, you hate to an- announce something and then like pretty quickly roll it back. Right. But it was, it was fairly well received. Another question. You guys recently open sourced mm. the learn repository. Yeah, we did the rails app that runs the service. Yes. Yep. Uh, have you gotten any interesting pull requests and what is your general sense on like how confident, you know, ThoughtBot is known for writing good code, Yeah. right? Um, how confident were you in releasing that source code that, you know, that it was a good demonstration of how we've developed the app and how ThoughtBot works in general? And have you gotten any comments about, uh, about the quality of the code? Uh, that's an awesome question. Um, so Learn is probably our oldest app. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's been around longer than any other active thing that we have done just about that we still have our hands in. Mm-hmm. Um, so Learn was originally was running the workshops. Uh, so we used to do a lot of in-person workshops and Learn was the registration system before that. And then when we started making one-off products, we sort of like bolted on an e-commerce like one-off purchasing thing on top of that. Mm-hmm. And then when we started doing subscription, we kind of bolted on like a subscription service on top of that. And now we needed a dashboard. Like, and so it's, 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 it's been around for a long time and it's done a lot of things. And 
So the quality of the code, I would say, is like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the newest stuff is the best, um, but there's some cruft in there that's been there forever. Like, it still has a couple, like a handful of cucumber features. Okay. Um, and, like, we don't write cucumber anymore. No. Um, but at the same time, I'm a believer in fixing stuff when you touch it. Mm-hmm. So, like, if a cucumber feature breaks, I'll move it into RSpec and then fix it. Um, but I'm not going to just sit down on Tuesday morning and be like, oh, now's the time to rewrite some cucumber features because right. that's going to give us lots of value. It's not going to give us any value. Mm-hmm. So, like, they're getting slowly moved over, but there's just there's a, there's a, there's that. I feel like the, the standards in our client work are, like, extremely rigorous and extremely high. And internal stuff for a while just had a little bit less of, like, that impulse to it. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit more like vacation land. And so it wasn't bad. It's like nothing like embarrassing or like horribly ugly. But it was just like not quite the same level of professionalism I think that we approached our client projects with. That's changed. We do like code review on everything and learn now. And I think that the quality of the code continuously, continuously goes up there. Um, and the new stuff that's getting added, I'm totally happy with. But there, there are some embarrassing parts if you dig around long enough. Mm-hmm. But, but like I said, like we don't, I don't think it's useful to sort of just sit down and say, well, there are par- pa- parts of this that are bad. Let me just fix them just because, right. as fun as that might be. Yeah. Um, it's not a good use of time. Mm-hmm. So we open sourced it, and I, I know I have this like vague sense of like a little bit of embarrassment, like because like someone posts on the forum, like, is it normal to have lines that are like 150 characters long? And uh-huh. we're like, no, that's not normal. We usually wrap them at 80. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he was like, uh, us, uh, and so we haven't, we have that's been kind of we haven't gotten a lot of feedback. There's just a mm-hmm. couple people asking questions about certain things. On the whole, people have been uh, have appreciated seeing a real app. It's like mm-hmm. warts and all. Like here, like you can right. look at the history and see the weird stuff that happened, and you can see that there are parts that we don't fix, even though they're kind of bad because. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't make sense to. I would love it if people submitted pull requests. I mm-hmm. don't want to ask people to do it. It's yeah. like, I would, it's, so here's the thing. I think it's a sneaky way to get a free code review. If you submit a pull request to the Learn app, I will absolutely do a code review on it. Mm-hmm. And if it's good, then we'll merge it. But I don't want to be like, hey, customers that are paying us money, fix our code for us. And, you know, right. So I think it would be maybe a good learning experience for some people mm-hmm. and maybe like a good bragging thing. It's like, I have contributed code in the right. Thoughtbot repo or something. Mm-hmm. So I would like to see that happen, but I also don't want to ask for it. What part of the code base are you most proud of in Learn? Like if, if you wanted someone brand new to Learn and digging through the repository, what, where would you point them to say, this is an awesome piece of code. You should check this out. Look at the tests. Look at the functionality. I'm most proud of the stuff we don't write. Okay. I'm most proud of the things that we leave out of there and, uh-huh. like, and simplify. It might be cool to walk through some of the commit history and to watch the subscription stuff get better over time. Um, because, like, like I said, we have this mentality of like just ship it and then iterate. Mm-hmm. And so like the very first pass we did on turning this from a pure e-commerce thing, like one-off sales, to a recurring subscription thing mm-hmm. was like pretty hilariously janky. Yeah. It was like, what's the dumbest thing that will work here? And, like, we're like, well, we could keep using this and, like, change it to that and, like, add the string here. And, like, it was pretty goofy. Yep. Um, and it's gotten steadily better with time. And, like, now matches. And, and now, like, it's kind of reasonable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you wouldn't look at it and say, like, what are these guys on? <laughs> um, so maybe I think the, the value, it might be looking at things evolving over time. Yeah. And kind of walking through the history there and see some of the refactorings that happen. I don't know if there's any, like, shining star mm-hmm. parts in it. Like, like, wow, that's just the most beautiful implementation of whatever that I can think of. Have you guys used it as like, a, as, like, a coding playground a little bit? Like, you know, we've talked about active model serializers or, like, page objects or some of the, of the more bleeding-edge 
ways in which we approach problems and and you know, and solve them. Is there is there anything in there that's like it's kind that's kind of crazy? It's kind of unofficially become like that, okay? Because it's been around for so many years, it's right. like you can see the different styles in there. Okay, so like just the cucumber versus RSpec thing, for example, right? And like also like okay, we the way we've we like we write our describe blocks versus context blocks versus whatever has changed a bunch over the over the years, and you can see that like certain tests do one way and certain tests do the other, mm-hmm. and it's a bit of a bummer because like. I, a consistent code base is very nice. Like you like to have things consistent across a project, right. um, but like it's not consistent. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you go into a, a spec file and like, okay, well in this file they're using this this sort of pattern, mm-hmm. and so you follow the pattern. And then you look at another spec file, it's like, oh, and in this one there's a slightly <laughs> different pattern. So I guess I'll just follow the one that's in this one. And yeah, it's a bit of a bummer. It, it'd be nice if it were really fresh and clean. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually petitioned in the beginning to to start a new app when we started mm-hmm. this project, um, and. Uh, it was sort of me versus Chad, and Chad was like, no, let's use the existing one. And who knows who was right? We, pro- we almost definitely got to market faster because we could re- sort of leverage the existing thing. But the penalty that we did pay on that is that there's, there's more cruft, there's more debt mm-hmm. in there, and lack of consistency because it's just it's literally been years mm-hmm. so there's like different you can see different eras of thoughtbots testing philosophy right. thoughtbots modeling philosophy uh naming schemes it's just kind of got a little bit of everything in there mm-hmm. um it's not too painful because consistency is you know not the the most important quality of right. code but it's it's a little goofy sometimes mm-hmm. we're just trying to keep it getting better over time if the exactly. needle keeps moving a little bit more positively with all our commits then mm-hmm. uh, that'll help we yeah. recently instituted standing mets as rules for the application mm-hmm. so we're writing like really short methods, really short classes, right. trying to be consistent about that, um, which is something we do anyway, but it's nice to have something in the readme, which is like, hey, it says five lines and you made 10, so go fix it. So and it, along those lines, so we talked a lot about the code quality of learn, like that's kind of interesting and all, and it's also kind of not important. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's weird. Like the th- one of the biggest surprises for me about this position is how easy it is to feel like you're getting useful work done and actually not getting any useful work done. Mm-hmm. So like a few, like a month or two ago, I, sh- uh, we had like our sort of retro meeting and I was like, so last week I shipped, uh, this thing mm-hmm. and it's out. And we realized we're not going to write a blog post about it. We're not going to announce it to our users cause it's very back endy and it's only about like useful to like 30 people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that was a really terrible use of a week. And, like, during the whole time, I feel like I'm productive. I'm refactoring this, and I'm, like, changing that to be better. And, like, this is going to be so much better after I'm done. And, like, it was, but no one cared. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it's very easy to feel like you're working on important stuff and then be like, wow, actually, no one cares about this. This is yep. So I have to split my time between, like, making sure the app is awesome and, and doing things like making sure metrics are in place and, like, making sure the database is consistent and all these, these goofy back-end things. Right. Um, but also being like, okay, what do the users actually care about? Well, none of that. Right. So let's make sure we're also doing things that they care about. So I'm trying to figure out a good split of my time on that. Right. Which yeah, that's, that's interesting because it feels like, you know, you could take that and apply it to other client projects and, you know, refactoring and testing in general. It's like, okay, what's the value in, in actually how, how, how can you weigh that and, and figure out, you know, what's, what some of the goals are. It's like you can quote unquote cut corners a little bit and ship code or you can write tests or you can refactor and it's, you know, it's interesting being on a product side just because, you know, for us, you know, when we're working for clients, we we feel like we know exactly what's best and what will continue to move the product forward. But it's interesting because I feel like I hear that a lot when you're actually working on a product. It's like you do kind of sacrifice some of that stuff in order to, to get features out the door and, and try and make money off of it. So Yeah, and, and there's that, that constant balancing act between, like, technical debt and, and mm-hmm. speed. 
because the way it does impact the way code quality does impact your users is your ability to bring new features to the product. Right. Um, so we 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 don't we try not to accumulate a lot of it, mm-hmm. and we try to be like pretty aggressive about paying it down when we can, um, because it, it really will make new changes harder. That's sort of that's the argument, right? Otherwise, you just keep accumulating debt like crazy because it always is a little faster to ship the next thing mm-hmm. until it's slower and then way slower and then much much slower because like it's just oh, it's so hard to change this code because it sucks. Right. Yeah, I think the way that I describe it is like you have a moving truck and you can just start throwing boxes up to the back of the truck and you can fill the truck up really quickly with a bunch of boxes, right? But when you need to start putting more and more boxes in there, it's like, okay, well, now I need to go in there and stack the boxes and make sure everything kind of fits together so that there's more room because at some point you will run out of room and at that point you need to kind of reorganize everything. And I think, I feel like that's kind of like shipping features in a factory in general. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And, and that's a good analogy because on average, the app always does more with every like month, right? Mm-hmm. Like you rarely take away jobs from right. an application. Um, I'm petitioning to kill one of our learns jobs, but mm-hmm. um, it's, it's rare that it's like, okay, this week we killed two, two features that our app used to do. Right. It's always like, add this, and this, and that, and that. And that's when it gets really tricky. Mm-hmm. So you got to be pretty aggressive about paying that debt down, yep. at least sometimes. But it's hard. It's a hard yeah. balancing act. Yep. It's like everything else in software. It's like pros and cons of different approaches, and you yep. gotta, that's why you make good money is because you develop the intuition to mm-hmm. figure out what to do when. Um, so last question. Yeah. Uh, have you, I, because you're a managing director, I'm assuming you have a play in hiring people. Mm. Have you hired anybody solely to produce content? Mm. And is that a goal? I mean, is, is that kind of what you're shooting for at some point? Uh, yes. So okay. um, we actually hired Mike, who's producing our podcast right uh-huh. now, recording it, manning the board, um, because we have a ton of editing to do. So Mike is our sort of producer slash editor slash video shooter and audio recorder and all things uh, media. Um, and we realized we have a ton of work to do in that area So mm-hmm. because we produce now two podcasts. Um, and we make a bunch of videos for Learn, and we edit a bunch of stuff, screencasts, mm-hmm. and things like that. So uh, we realized, yeah, there's actually a lot of work to do here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Mike had been with us part-time for a while, doing a good job. So we were like, right, let's just do this. Let's pull mm-hmm. the trigger. So Mike is our sort of first full-time you-make-media right. person. Uh, we're also bringing on someone, a bunch of people internally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have uh, Matt Manjo is joining the Learn team. Mm-hmm. He's already a uh, developer here, but he's going to become under our um, under our aegis, right. under our banner. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, first thing he's doing is remaking, updating his workshop for Rails 4 and Ruby 2, uh, like you are. Yep. Uh, and then uh, is going to be producing a bunch of content for us. Cool. Uh, when we've we've uh, hired Drew Neal, creator of Drew, uh, Vimcasts, mm-hmm. author of Practical Vim. He made an awesome series of screencasts for us yep. called uh, Navigating Ruby Files with Vim, which is like seriously fantastic. Um, and we're in talks with some other people to do some stuff cool which uh more details forthcoming yeah um but there's a uh we we make a lot of our own content but we realize you know we can go faster if we get some subject matter experts exactly. to make content in their, own, yep. in their own and so yeah we're totally not against purchasing that cool. spending money for that because cool. it's content is kind of the thing that that runs the engine here mm-hmm. did you have anything hush hush that you want to Maybe drop a hint about or anything that you can... Um, JavaScript, front-end JavaScript frameworks. Okay. Um, we have a Backbone class. Yep. We have a Backbone workshop that is being given right now. It's sold out in 20 minutes. Um, and so there's clearly a lot of demand for that. So we're going to turn that into our like more standard uh, video-based workshop. Right now it's sort of like a live format, which doesn't scale at all, mm-hmm. obviously. 
Um, but we're going to change that to video format. That's We're going to hopefully ship that as soon as possible because everyone wants it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's more there as well. There are other JavaScript-y frameworks that are useful to know about. So right. we're looking to, to beef up our content in that area. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for flipping the tables on me. It was fun to be yeah. <laughs> interviewed on uh, my own podcast. Thank you for the opportunity. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Cool. Uh, so if, if you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash giantrobots slash 71. Today's podcast was recorded, edited, and produced by Mike Manor, mentioned earlier. Thanks for listening.